You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. So much. Amen. <laughs> hey uh, as the kids are dismissing to uh, so the kids can be heading back for junior church. But as they're heading back, I just got a couple of things I forgot to mention during announcements. Um, one of them is... What are they? Okay, number one, let me say this, and because I, I won't forget the other one. Uh, check out the nursery sign-up sheet in the hallway. It's back on the bulletin board. Um, uh, right now, we, we got some faithful ladies, and we got, just got, got some great nursery workers. We got an infant nursery as well as a toddler nursery, uh, but we just got a few ladies that work that, and we do that Sunday mornings and Wednesdays, and so... Uh, it, it takes them out of a lot of services, but if, if you think you would be willing to sign up, even if it's just for like once a month uh, or something, but do me a favor though, sign up, sign the paper, that way they, they, they can know and plan accordingly. So if you're willing to do that, want to mention that. And then another thing just quickly is uh, not immediately following the service, uh, we'll dismiss and allow folks to leave, but within five or ten minutes after dismissing, I just need to have a, a very brief meeting, uh, hopefully. Uh, because I've, uh, I, I just need to approve uh, a guy that's going to be looking at the windows, that's going to be, uh, that's give us the best bid and blah, blah, blah. And I just need uh, just to make sure that we're in agreement in moving forward. We're not talking, uh, this isn't a vote on design, but it's just on moving forward with the guy uh, that, uh, that I've talked to so far. Anyway, all right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in the book of Isaiah uh, as well as the book of Acts. And I'm going to be referring to a number of passages as we go through this morning. And uh, do you ever wonder why the world is the way it is? Do you ever wonder that? Um, ever wonder what's wrong with the world? Ever wonder what's going on in the world? Uh, you know, the name of the song they just sang was, uh, you know, uh, about what, what about tomorrow? And do you ever wonder about tomorrow? Um, are things ever going to change? And if they change, are they going to change for the better? You know, for some people, their only hope is in men. Their only hope is in politicians and, and the power brokers of this world. As Americans, I'll say that we have the responsibility to vote and take part in the political process um, from the local level on up to be good stewards of that which God has blessed us with in this great country. Uh, we need more Christians that are getting involved in politics and, and even from, from the local level, again, right on up through. Some people, uh, you know, again, their hope is in man that's in, in the power brokers, politicians, whatever. But folks, I just want to declare today that my hope today is not in the midterm elections of 2022. They're not in this year's midterm elections. Now, I believe I'm going to enjoy the midterm elections. But my hope is not in the midterm elections. My hope is not in the 2024 presidential election. My hope today, and our hope as God's people, is not in nine judges ruling in black robes on the Supreme Court. No, no. See, uh, our hope is in one who is ruling uh, with a white robe, amen, on the throne of heaven, our sovereign, who is in control, one who is not at all taken back or surprised by the things that we are facing today, as well as that which we will face tomorrow. We have been studying over the last several weeks 
kind of off and on, but we've been studying a quartet of powerful, four powerful titles uh, in the Old Testament for the Lord Jesus Christ. These four uh, powerful titles become the themes of the four Gospels. We looked first of all at the gospel. There, there's a declaration in the Old Testament that's where the Lord said in Zechariah, Behold the man, the branch, the one who will come. Well, that's dealt with in the book of Luke. That's the theme of the book of Luke. We've dealt with the, the idea of uh, behold my servant, which the Lord said in Isaiah 42 and a number of times, my servant, the one who came to go to the cross and accomplish the work of redemption. And that's the theme of the gospel of Mark. Today we will be looking at the theme of behold your king. The Bible says in Zechariah 9 verse 9, behold thy king. Matthew's theme is behold your king. And the message I want to preach just for a little bit today, if you'll let me, is on this declaration on the king is coming. The king is coming. It would have been okay to say amen right there. But anyway, uh, thank you. I'll pay you later. You see, uh, I have a king today. I have a king today. We have a king today. He's already been elected through the eternal plan of God. There will be no recalls or recounts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and His rule. Uh, uh, there will be no mysterious votes that change the tide. There will be no disappearing votes that affect the outcome. Folks, it is decided right now. Jesus Christ is the rightful king and he is coming again. The Bible talk, tells us about the, the kingdom of God. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. So if you're saved by the grace of God, you're a part of the kingdom of God. But the Bible is very specific also that there's the kingdom of heaven. And that there's a kingdom coming that's going to be a kingdom upon this earth, as we'll see in just a moment. Make no mistake about it, however, he is not coming to be the Republican candidate in 2024. Or the Democratic candidate or independent or whatever. You, he's not coming. Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. Amen. He's not coming to take sides. He is coming to take over because he is the rightful owner. He's the, one, he's the only one that can open that seven-sealed scroll, the title deed, to the earth. I've got a king today. Make no mistake about it. He's the king. He's the king that before this world ever went wrong. And let me tell you something. The world is wrong today. The world is wrong because of sin. The world is wrong because of uh, the, the results of man's sin in this world. The world is wrong. But before the world ever went wrong, my king had a plan to make it right. Before mankind ever fell, God had a plan to redeem mankind. The very first verbal promise of the Lord's coming is found in Genesis 3.15. When it says that the Lord will come, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that we're looking for right after the fall of man, the, that, that Jesus, the Redeemer, will come through the seed of a woman. And we know that to be Mary today. 
But that, that begins in Genesis 3.15. And thus begins a building anticipation throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. A Messiah will be born and make things right in this world. It continues to build all the way through the Old Testament. I mean, we find out that he's going to be born. He's going to be a man. We later find out that he's going to be uh, in the line of David. Therefore, he's going to be the king. Uh, we later find out that he's going to be of the line of Melchizedek to where he's not only going to be a king, but he's going to be the king priest. And we preached a little bit about his priestly work uh, two weeks ago, that he's our great high priest. Uh, but, but, but it built all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, and by the way, I, I wish I could just go through today. I'm not going to do it today, but I'll do it sometime and just go through the Old Testament and let you know that Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. He's in every book of the Bible. Uh, the theme of the Old Testament is He who is coming. And then the theme as you follow the New Testament is He who came and He who's coming again. Amen, as we'll see in just a moment. But uh, it was building all the way up until Luke chapter 2, verse 11, where the Bible says in Luke 2, 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, we, you say, preach, that's a Christmas message. Don't you know that's two weeks old? No, listen to me. We don't just have Christmas messages and Easter messages. Folks, that's our message year-round, isn't it? He has come. He went to the cross. He, he rose again. He's coming again. But uh, uh, he, he, he came unto you a Savior, is born unto you a Savior, all right? So for the Jews, they were looking for a Savior from Roman rule, from Roman oppression. Uh, but we know that he came not just to be the savior from Roman oppression. He become for great man's under a greater oppression. And every one of us are born into sin and the kingdom of darkness and blindness. And so Jesus came so that we might have light. He came to save us from our sins, as the Bible says. But it's interesting, isn't it? The Bible says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ. Christ. That, the, the word Christ, again, I, I said this a couple weeks ago, but the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? It's a title. And the, word, the, the title is simply Jesus Messiah. The Messiah. In other words, the Anointed One. The one from Genesis 3.15. The one promised to David to be the son of David that would sit on his throne. The King that was coming. A Savior, which is Christ. The Lord. And, uh, and so, so there was a promise building all the way up into that. But now, instead of Christ the Messiah, uh, instead of Him sitting upon a throne on this earth, instead what happened? He was nailed to an old rugged cross. Well, that wasn't the way they thought it was going to work out. Now, it was God's plan. But that's not the way the Jews thought this thing was going to work out. Instead, He died. Uh, so what happened to all of these promises that have been building for the last 4,000 years in connection with His kingdom. Well, in Isaiah chapter 9, where I pointed you to to begin with, Isaiah 9, verse 6, we see the Christmas passage. For unto us a child is born. Wonderful. Unto us a son is given. So both of those have been fulfilled. A child was born in Bethlehem. A son was given at Calvary, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given, and, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Have you seen that yet? And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. All right. So Jesus came and fulfilled the first part of this prophecy. On the third day, Jesus rose again and ascended to heaven. But before Jesus' final ascension, many people don't realize that after Jesus' resurrection, that he spent, a, he, he, spent, he spent a period after an initial ascension, he came back and ministered for an additional 40 days on the earth where he was seen of many witnesses. And that's kind of one of the cool things from a historic standpoint uh, as far as proof of his death, proof of his resurrection. Uh, but he ministered on this. And before he ascended to heaven... For the last time, in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, I'd love for you to see this, so we'll probably get it up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, turn there, because you may want to mark a couple of these. Acts, chapter number 1, there's an interesting exchange in Acts 1, verse number 6, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, when they, had, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that's a surprising verse to some of us because it's, it's a very enlightening thing if you understand that even the apostles, the whole time they were following Jesus, were waiting for that moment when He was going to be the King. Uh, and, and the reason that the, 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 there was so much rejoicing when He came, the whole idea of Palm Sunday was the fact that, man, here comes our King, lowly, sitting on an ash. You know, he's, here He comes. It's the King. But then he went to the cross because the Israel rejected him instead of becoming the king. And so here are the disciples. They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. <laughs> they, they have been spending the last month with him on earth. And Jesus, it's funny if you go back and read because once you go back and read it in the right context, you could say, how did the disciples not get this? But right before he's about to ascend, the disciples are like, okay, Lord, this has been a great 40 days. It was a great three and a half years before that. Uh, this is cool. You're, you're risen again. You have this immortal body. Uh, so now are you going to become the king? Now are you going to set up your kingdom? And may I just hasten to say here very quickly, Jesus didn't say, oh no, y'all misunderstood all that. What it really means is I'm just going to become your savior and be the king of your heart. That's all that really meant, all that Old Testament prophecy. I say that because that's what some people uh, erroneously teach. But notice here, the Bible says, they ask the question in verse 6 of Acts 1, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel? Verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. By the way, Jesus didn't always answer questions the way people hoped he would. Are you going to restore the kingdom? None of your business. But, verse 8, he says, get to work. Just get out preaching. Go out winning people to Christ. Go out and do the work of God until I come. 
Verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me, uh, unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, and said Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Well, there it is. Where's the rest of Isaiah 6, uh, the, the passages that we share? Where's the rest of those verses? Well, I'll tell you where they are, verses six, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. They're coming, amen? Just as he went up, he's coming again. As a matter of fact, he told his disciples in uh, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. <laughs> uh, and again, I, I pause and laugh every once in a while because I think of people who have their eschatology, their doctrine of the last days confused. And, and I can be friends with these people, don't misunderstand me, but man, it just blows my mind because Jesus said, I'm coming again. But then old Dr. Smell Fungus over here says, well, no, he's not really coming again. I'm going with Jesus over smell fungus, amen. Uh, uh, there's some people just say, think they're so smart, but I, I'll go with Jesus. But he, he said, I will come again. Oh, that's when you accept him. No, it's not. It's literal. Just as, just as it was literal that a child was going to be born, just as it was literal that a son was going to be given, it is quite literal that the government will be upon his shoulders. That was not fulfilled in his first advent, but it will be fulfilled in his second advent. He's coming again. He said he would return. He said before he ascended and he confirmed with his last words of the Bible in, in Revelation 22 verse 20. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Lord Jesus, the last word spoken by Christ in the Bible. You ready for it? The last word spoken by Christ in the Bible, Revelation 22 20. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. I'm coming. And by the way, we sung that song it as well just a moment ago. Uh, that, that, that's what that last verse says, even so, because that's what the apostle says, even so, Lord Jesus, come, amen, come quickly. But he's coming again, just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming again. Jesus came to restore some things. He did indeed come to restore righteousness and a relationship. Remember in the Garden of Eden, that was lost. Sin entered in, and that separated that close relationship between God and man. Man became sinful rather than righteous. So Jesus came so that He might ultimately restore that relationship so that He might take your sin. And yes, I said your sin because the Bible's very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that that sin puts us at enmity with God, separates us from God in this life, but it will also do so in eternity. If our sin is not dealt with, we will be separated from Christ for all eternity. And folks, that is hell. And it is a literal fiery place. But Jesus don't want you to go there. So He came and took your hell upon Himself when He went to the cross. He took your hell. He took your judgment. He took your sin. Why? So that He might restore that relationship by restoring righteousness. But that's not all He came to do. He also came 
to restore the rule. See, Adam was put in a place of dominion on this earth. But when he sinned, he lost that. But Jesus came to restore that. He came to restore that once again. See, my king has a plan, and much of it has been revealed to us today. One of the things that we hear from time to time is we hear a mention of the signs of the times. Well, Jesus mentioned the signs of the times. Can I tell you something, though, today? I personally am not looking for signs today. I just want to say that. I'm listening for a sound. Amen? Because Jesus didn't tell his disciples, all right, y'all hang around here and just watch the signs. You know, he said, no, get, get, get out there and get busy. You just keep working and, and working and, and you, you look toward that eastern sky, but you just keep listening for a sound while you work. Amen. Get the job done. Do something for me. Some people get so caught up, man. People get off track. It's crazy that people can actually get off track and trying to study something good. You know, and you, because you find guys, man, they can tell you everything you want to know. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, they, 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 I mean, there's guys, if you, they've studied so much, Ralph, they can find, they can find an ingrown toenail on Nebuchadnezzar's image, you know, and, and find the significance of that and how it relates to us in 2022. And that, that, that's how, that's the president or something, you know. I mean, it's just like, they, people, they, they come up with this stuff. But I'm not looking for signs, but I'm telling you what, folks. The Bible promised that there would be signs. And the, the, thing, the reason I'm not looking for signs today is that the signs that are promised concerning the second coming of Christ, those signs that are promised are promised concerning when He comes to literally set up His kingdom on this earth. Now here's the thing about it. Jesus, can, Jesus Christ said that His coming was in two phases. Because He said in, in, in the same passage, He said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. I'm coming like a thief in the night. What's a thief usually come for if they come? Something valuable. You know what he's coming for? He's coming for his jewels. Amen. He's coming for those that have put, his, put their faith and trust in him. But he didn't just say, I'm coming like a thief in the night. That's sneaky. But then he said this, I'm coming and every eye shall see me. I'm coming and like the lightning flashes in the east and shines into the west, every eye shall see me. It's going to be a coming that everybody sees. The first coming is a, coming, a return in the clouds. And folks, that's going to be at least seven years before uh, he, he returns. But here's the point. So there's going to be before, seven years before Christ comes. You say, where do you get seven years from? Well, we get that from the prophecies of Daniel. And how the da Daniel promised at, uh, that there would be a period of 70 prophetic weeks, which is uh, seven years times 70. And we know that every one of those have been fulfilled save the final seven-year prophecy. And literally, the amazing thing is, is based on the, the dates that Daniel gave, okay, that God gave Daniel, this is an amazing thing, God gave Daniel the dates that went from when Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to build their temple, and it was actually the exact number of dates to the very day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That's how accurate it was. Because he said from the time that the commandment goes forth from King Cyrus to the, cut, to, to the day when the Messiah dies is going to be, you know, 483 years. That's the exact amount. And guess what? They could have set the, they could have wrote it on their calendar and known this is the year, this is the day that the Messiah comes into town. But what happened? There was, another, there was one more seven-year period to be fulfilled, but what happened is they rejected uh, their Messiah. The Messiah was cut off. 
but not for himself. He was cut off for his people, Daniel tells us. So that's where we get the term seven years. There's one last seven-year period left. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And we know that those who are saved by the grace of God will not endure that time of Jacob's trouble, otherwise known as the tribulation period. Now, I want to hasten to say this. Sometimes people hear this and they say, oh, you're saying that Christians will never have to go through any hard times or tribulation. Never said that. I didn't say that we may not have to go through some tribulation. I just say we will not go through any of the seven years of tribulation. There could, be, there could be horrific tribulation preceding that. But it will not be any of the seven-year tribulation. So, But the, the fact is, the Lord's coming again. And the point that I was trying to make is, the signs that, are, the signs that we have... Uh, anybody go to Walmart, you know, like, say, right after uh, Halloween? You go to Halloween, you get your... Uh, you go to Halloween, you go to Walmart, you get your discount candy... I think that's such a great deal, don't you? Just because it's got Halloween on it, man, they mark it off. And I'm like, that's a steal. I don't care if it looks like a pumpkin or not. Amen, that Reese's Cup's still good. Um, they mark it off. But there's something else you'll see at Walmart when you're there, getting that Halloween candy half off. You'll see Christmas, right? You go in there November 1st. I mean, it's probably even before that, right? Probably before Halloween. You go in there, and man, they got the Christmas trees up. And they got the music playing. And, uh, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's what I'm like, wow, I'm seeing some signs here. Christmas must be coming soon. Christmas must be coming soon. And I keep seeing signs. And then, 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 then the movies and the shows start coming on about Christmas and all this. Well, you know, sometimes some folks fuss about it, don't we? Uh, and we say, well, man, you kind of forgot about something. Where's Thanksgiving. But the point I'm just simply trying to make is, after October, you start seeing the signs of Christmas. But you know what that tells me? That tells me that Thanksgiving must be really close. You say, what's that got to do with anything? It's got to do with this. The signs concerned that, th that God gives are about when Jesus comes to set up His kingdom. So what that tells me is, when I see the signs coming to pass, and many of them already been fulfilled, what we know is, man... The rapture must be really close. The rapture must be any close. It could be any day. And that term's not found in the Bible, but the term calling away is found in the Bible. And so, uh, surely I come quickly. Jesus is coming again. Uh, you, know, you know, you think about some of the signs, and I mentioned it this morning in Sunday school, but uh, a lot of people don't realize how significant it was when a people that were spread across the globe, the Jews... Number one, God said, promise that I would disperse you, throughout, disperse you throughout the earth. Number two, he says, as the time goes, draws closer, I'm going to regather you in Jerusalem. And you're going to have your country. And in Bible prophecy, Israel and Jerusalem are major players. And did you know it's interesting, at the, at the turn of the 20th century, there were some actually pretty good Bible scholars, but when it came to prophecy, they would get mixed up and they would just some try, they'd try to spiritualize Jerusalem because that's impossible. They haven't been a country for 2,000 years nearly. They haven't been a place. They haven't been significant. They can't actually have their own country. They're just a spur. It must just mean something else, but it didn't mean something else. God knew that he was going to restore them as a country. Um, you know, uh, you, you think about them uh, be, being regathered, becoming a nation, gr the, the growing violence and immorality that Jesus promised would happen, the godliness and anarchy, wars, rampant disease, earthquakes, destructive storms, 
uh, the rise of the globalist agenda. A global, which is the globalist agenda, is a global government, a global currency, and a global religion. See, God gave a description in the book of Daniel. He gave a description of what it would look like over the period from, really from Daniel on until our day. And he gave a description of what's called the times of the Gentiles, the times that the Gentiles are in rule. God gave uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar a dream, a vision of a colossus with a head of gold that began to represent the world empires, the Gentile world empires. It, it began with Babylon, the head of gold. A silver chest that represented the Medo-Persian empire. A bronze midsection which pictured uh, the Grecian empire. Iron legs that represented the Roman Empire. And then finally, feet which consist of a mixture of iron and clay, which represents the final attempt at a world empire that will be led by a political leader called the Antichrist. Now you don't have to know a whole lot to know that if you were to put iron and clay in a big old bowl and stirred it up, it's not mixing together. It's not going to stay. Number one, we know that clay, if it dries, it's going to break fairly easy. And it's not bound with the iron. And the iron and clay pictures the efforts of globalism today. The alliance of many nations that just don't quite mix. And we've been seeing that for some time. Nations, and I'm talking about rulers, coming together that are trying. And I'm saying, listen, there's some that, that have no doubt. There's some people that have some good motivations behind this. Not all of them do, but perhaps many of them do. But one thing's for sure. God promised that the nations would try to come global, become a global nation under one government, one currency, one religion. And we've been seeing these efforts increase and grow for years. We can see it increasing even today. See, the rebellious hearts of the Tower of Babel and again, that's the picture. The Tower of Babel back in the book of Genesis, when, when the nations, they were basically one nation, but they all came together and they were going to build a tower. In other words, they were starting their own religion. They wanted their own government. And they, already, and they, had, they had their own currency even. But the point is this. All of it was without God. We do not want God ruling over us. We do not want the rules of God. We're going to do this our way we're going to do this our way so the rebellious hearts of the tower of babel what got what did god do god confounded the languages think about what happened at babel god confounded the languages dispersed the nations and people were spread all around this world but in our lifetime what have we seen happen we've seen the world go from being really big and separated to really getting a lot smaller and together and there's a lot of great benefits of that. I'm not being critical of that. But what we see happening in the course of that is this effort of the, the mixing of globalism. Uh, and so there's an effort once again to unite the world without God. Now the problem is there's some people standing in the way of this. There's some people, and I'm talking about the, the anti-God efforts, the, the ones that are trying to leave God out of the equation. Okay, and that, uh, that there's some people standing in the way of that. The Bible says in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, Why do the heathen rage? 
and the people imagine a vain thing. Now what are the heathen raging about? What vain thing are they imagining? The Bible says the kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The Bible placed the church here, he placed Christians on this earth to be salt and light. And part of being salt and light is kind of the problem that they're running into in Psalms. They said, let us break their bands. Let us break their cords. Cut their cords, break their bands. Let us get away from this. In other words, there's a restraining factor there. There's some people saying, wait a second. Y'all are heading away from the principles and precepts of God, which are, by the way, what's helped this country be such a great country and what's been such a positive influence throughout all the world. We're not ready to cut the restraints of God's Word. We believe in standing for God's Word. We believe in standing for the home. We believe in standing for the things that God says is right. And so, uh, so but, but, but the attitude of those who are trying this globalization is, man, we need to cut their, break their bands and cut their cords. <clears throat> See, all, at this coming, this is a crazy thing that seems more plausible to me than it did many years ago. But... When Jesus does come again, as I said, He's coming again, and the Bible says He's coming to take the church out, then He's literally coming back to this earth. We, call, we, we know it as the battle of Armageddon when He comes back. Now, why is there going to be a battle in Armageddon? The Bible actually says in the book of Revelation 16 that Satan, through his evil spirits, are going to influence the kings to come and make war with Christ. How far-fetched does that sound to you? Well, it doesn't nearly sound as far-fetched as it used to to me. Because I used to think people thought Jesus was good. Amen? Uh, and, that, and, and, and that the Bible was good. But I'm, and they used to. But I'm telling you, you can see a move further and further away from that. But the Bible says in Revelation 16, these evil spirits are going to encourage the kings. And literally, they are going to say, okay, so Jesus is coming. Where is he coming? Well, it's going to be in Megiddo. It's going to be there in the land of Israel. It's going to be in a place where we can go. Uh, well, let's go. Let's, let's fight. Does that, I don't know how that sounds to you, but in, uh, once again in Psalm 2, the Bible says, he that, how does God react to this? How does God react to the armies and the kings of this world rising together against them under the Antichrist? I'll tell you how he responds to it. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Verse 9 of Psalm 2 says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's coming again. The king is coming. The world's going to try to stop him, but I'm telling you, he's coming just the same. The vision that I mentioned earlier that Nebuchadnezzar saw, he saw that image with the head of gold and, and, and silver and, and bronze and iron and the feet of clay and, and iron mixed together. But in his dream also, the Bible says, Thou sawest till a stone 
that was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were iron and clay. Who is that stone? Folks, this stone is the rock of ages. Amen. And the Bible says, then, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken into pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that there was found no more place for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel describes the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, though it is yet to be realized in the physical realm, folks, I want to tell you, it is coming. Uh, the kingdom of Christ is coming. And based on the Word of God, we know a few things about how He's coming. When He returns to this earth, a couple things about it, based on Daniel's vision as well as the others. But number one, it's going to be a supernatural kingdom. The Bible says these Gentile powers had been built up. But the Bible says it's going to be a stone cut out without man's hands. You know, man can make brick, but man can't make a stone. And it's a stone, it's a stone cut out without hands. It is a, it is a supernatural kingdom. It's also a sudden kingdom. It's a sudden kingdom. It's going to come quickly. It's also a severe kingdom. Folks, the first time Jesus came, He came lowly. He came humble. The first time He came, they crucified Him. But let me tell you something. He's coming again. And the Bible says when He comes back, the Bible says He's coming back with fire in His eyes. The Bible says with vengeance that will destroy the adversaries. It is a supernatural kingdom, a sudden, a severe kingdom. It's a sovereign kingdom. Because Jesus will set up rule over this entire earth. It is a successful kingdom, amen? Because of the increase of His government, there shall be no end. He will place authority in its rightful, sovereign hands. He will fill the earth with His presence, power, and glory. The familiar prayer that Christians have prayed for 2,000 years, Thy kingdom come. Guess what? His kingdom is coming. It will be answered in that day done on earth as it was in heaven at that day when the bible says in hebrews 10 7 yet a little while and he that shall come will come and he will not tarry <clears throat> now i understand that there may be some of you that i'm preaching this to you i hope i hadn't lost you but i want you to study what i'm telling you i want you to look up the passages and study for yourself but i can promise you something just as Jesus Christ was born in that, just like he said he was going to be born, just like he said he was going to die, he will come again and set up his kingdom on this earth. Everything he has said, as a matter of fact, uh, of all the prophecies in the Bible, most of them have already been fulfilled. You realize that? The amount of prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible, but there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more to come. But I want to close this morning with this thought. Whether you understood everything I just was trying to communicate to you or not, or whether I did a good job communicating it, I don't know. I tried. But I want to say this today. When we think about my king, the king is coming. We think about somebody who's in charge, the king, the Lord. We think about Jesus. And I ask you this today, as you sit here, who's the king of your life? Because 
in this world and in this life, there's no, no better than, there's no one better to be in charge of your life than Jesus Christ. Now that seems like it should be obvious to us, but it's not all the time, isn't it? Even to some of you that are saved by God's grace, even us, some of us have a hard time saying, okay, Lord, you're the king, you're the boss. But who sits on your heart's throne today? You know, just to make an application here, I hope it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe I mentioned this earlier, but the Bible speaks about the kingdom of heaven, but also speaks about the kingdom of God. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you, and you must be born again to be in the kingdom of God. Hey, have you been born again? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior today? If you have not, I want you to invite Jesus, the rightful King, the one who, who has a rightful place in your heart and life, if you've never invited Him into your life and into your heart, I'd like you to do so today. And we're going to all stand and be dismissed in just a moment. And I really appreciate your patience. And if you'd come, Miss Sonia, as, as we stand here today, you say, what in the world are you talking about making Jesus King of my life? I believe in Jesus and... Uh, you know, I mean, I believe he was born and died and all that. But let me ask you this. Understanding that Jesus Christ came with a purpose and on a mission to save, have you, have you today accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you know him? See, I'm excited about my king coming because I don't know.